Hi, my name is Ruth and I'm a vicar in Battersea, London. I love to hear about other people's lives and what makes them tick. For this podcast, Life and Faith Today, I've gathered a group of people from the area to share their stories. My thanks to Anna, Tom, Patricia and Oji for being open and keeping it real. We chat together after listening to each interview. It's as simple as that. Enjoy the ride. Okay, Ruth, you've interviewed us all and now we're going to take over and we are going to interview you. Woo! Yeah, so I hope you're ready. We all know you in various ways, but just in case we've forgotten how we know you, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, an associate vicar um, in the Battersea Fields Parish, look after a couple of churches, St George's and St Saviour's. And um, I used to be a musician and um, <laughs> taught for a short while in London, music in a secondary school, and that was challenging. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've done all sorts, including leading some worship in churches. So um, yeah, I've done quite a lot of bits and pieces, but often around music, often around faith. And um, for the last 11 years, nearly 12, nearly 12 years, I think, I've been ordained in the Church of England. Wow. So that leads me on to the next question. I know you said you are ordained, but are you a Christian? Well, I am a Christian. You'll be really relieved to find out. But I say that because there are, I don't know if you know of a guy called John Wesley. He um, he, he was around a long time ago and mm. ended up being very, very influential in setting up the Methodist denomination. And he was an Anglican vicar and he wasn't, he wouldn't have called himself a Christian when he, he then encountered some people who he knew were different to him and it it started him on a journey of faith and then he became a Christian so that's that's why that's still quite a good question to ask because I'm Mm. not sure everybody realizes you know we all have choices don't we in life and and sometimes we might know things in our heads but I think a lot of Christianity is is something about traveling from head to heart. Mm. So here's a kind of question around that why are you a Christian? Um, I'm a Christian partly because I was raised as a Christian, I think, but I'm also a Christian because I've found it to be true. Mm. And that doesn't mean to say that I don't have doubts and I don't kind of think, have I based my entire life on a lie here? Mm. So it's not like that never happens, but I think I just feel like, Christianity for me is a relationship with God. It's a friendship with God. And the longer I'm in it with him, the more I realise that he's there. Mm. It's like you have history. It's like you have history with friends. Yeah. And they are they are the close friends. And you, you, you can't really shortcut that. You can you can make more friends, but yeah. they're the the walking with somebody over a long time actually makes a big difference. And it's like I feel that he's proved the friendship time and time and time again. Wow. I mean, it, it sounds like you're explaining what it means to you, but I'm going to ask you, what does being a Christian mean to you? Well, I think it's, I, I suppose really, I feel like as if my whole life is based on that friendship. And 
I want to be working in partnership with God. I don't, you know, it's this is not about a power trip or anything like that. I didn't even want to be ordained at all. Hmm. But I felt like I want I want to be obedient to his voice. I want to follow him, even if it's tough. And hmm. so I feel like the whole of my life revolves around my faith. Mm. so it means everything to answer your wow, question everything wow so, so um, could you tell us a little bit about your childhood where you were born and what experience have you had as faith as a child well I was born in East London and uh, my parents first had, uh, had a house in West Ham um, although they were living in Canning Town when mum was pregnant and my dad went off at that point to train to become a vicar so um, on my birth certificate there's maintenance man because that's what he was doing before and then he trained and then became a curate and then we moved and moved and moved again but finally he got to be vicar in Essex so he's always been in the Diocese of Chelmsford, they call it. And so they decided to stay put while all of us went through secondary school. So I went to Onga Comp and uh, hated it, uh, got a bit bullied <laughs> and stuff. But uh, even before that, in one of the curacies, just talking about faith, we had a holiday club over one summer and I was nine years old. And these, these guys came and just did lots of fun stuff with us kids. And um, I... I remember so clearly, even today, them talking about the fact that God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. And I thought, wow, you know, actually what that meant for me was I've got to take I've got to take this faith on for my, for me. I can't just live my faith through my parents. And so that's when I thought, right. I'm going to take this on for me. And that was a very definite decision. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, that's interesting. So till now, what do you think is the hardest thing that you've had to face in life so far? Well, as many of you have said, you have ups and downs. That's life. And I would say there are a few things that I've found particularly difficult. Um, I think probably physically the most difficult was um, when I was working in Australia and um, I was helping with a show about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It was a musical and I was music director of it. And I came home after the fifth performance and somebody drove through red traffic lights into the side of me. And I I was taken to hospital and I was pretty mashed up. I had my seatbelt on and that probably saved mm. my life because I wasn't thrown. But it meant that I, I was basically crushed. Mm. And um, that was... That, that is definitely the hardest thing physically wow. that I've had to deal with because it was excruciating. I had to lie flat for six weeks. I had five breaks in my pelvis, um, two wow. cracks lower back, six broken mm. ribs, collapsed lung, split liver, broken teeth. And on the outside of me, there was, you know, you couldn't see anything. I didn't have any scarring. The only the only scar I've got is when they had to go in to find out why I was bleeding so much. And so that's like a nice scar down my down my middle to sew up the liver. Oh, well. wow. And then I had to learn to walk again. And um, I mean, I was young, but there was something about, I think, the way so many people were praying for me while I was in hospital. The people, when I when I left after seven weeks, um, you called me the miracle girl. Now, that was hard spiritually as well, because 
I was lying there in so much pain. And I mean, my my teeth were split. So I actually had exposed nerves in my teeth and I did not even feel them because the pain in my pelvis area and lower back was so bad. And it was only later that, and I never felt my six broken ribs ever. It was only later that the the teeth started hurting. And um, I I was like lying there and thinking, wow, God, you've allowed this to happen to me. You've allowed this to happen to me. And it was a bit like I came to a crossroads. Do I continue to follow him or do I walk away? And that was a very, very, very real choice. And then I thought, well, a bit like Peter says to him, because Jesus says to Peter, are you going to go? And Peter turns around and says, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's, I kind of felt the same. I felt, well, I know this is true. What would I do without you? And so in a sense, I deliberately chose to carry on following him. But it was not easy. (laughs) Not easy. No, it doesn't sound horrible and must have been such a scary time for you and for all the people who who love you. And I think my parents had a really hard time because obviously they were here. I was in Australia. They waited till I survived the night and then they phoned my parents, which of course was just at the point where they were trying to go to sleep. And so my mum did not sleep and got on the first plane she could, which was four days later and uh, had not slept all that time, bless her. So yeah, I mean, it was tough on them. It was tough on them and other friends. So um, so would you say that that was a, a, a really significant, oh, well, obviously it was a, a very significant, but you know, how, how do you feel like that has shaped you and you know, your future then, that experience? Oh, very definitely. Partly because physically, I still have a fair bit of pain. I don't think I've ever had as much stamina as I used to have. And so a lot of my life has been doing as much as I can, but still being limited physically. So for example, I can't can't really go on a walk for more than an hour. Um, I can't stand, I could never do a sort of a, a shop job of, you know, at a till where you have to stand the whole time. I just basically have to do something where I, I can change what I do, sit, stand. The only thing I can do forever is lie, but that's not necessarily very easy to carry on working with that. So I find myself pushing myself right to my limit all the time. And I work very hard, but mm-hmm. Uh, it's like my body tells me when I'm doing too much and I get headaches and I get very tense in my especially the top part of my my shoulders and then I've often got an ache in my lower back that is a bit like having a low level headache so I'm used to it but then if I get a headache on top of that it's like no gotta take pills now (laughs) so it shaped me in that way but I think also I know that God heals I know that he had his hand and I did not die because they said with my injuries I could have I could have died and although I don't even now completely understand it there is something about pain that is transferable so when you and I talk about divorce it's, it's nowhere near similar in terms of pain and yet somehow the fact that I don't know we I've suffered you've suffered you know that different ones of us have suffered in different ways or are suffering thinking of OG you know there's something that has has happened to me in terms of maybe empathy where it doesn't have to be the same and I can never say I know how you feel and I would never say that but that it gives you a sense of depth with the person I can't describe it any other way 
Mm. So I think in that sense, it's been quite useful, although it's still a pain. (laughs) (laughs) And would you, um, how have you found COVID times and your faith? Is that, have you found it to be a help, you know, during these times? Well, to be honest, when it first happened, the first lockdown, I mean, the first two weeks were absolutely mad because we were trying to work out how to do church and how to keep in contact with everybody. And we didn't even have everybody's numbers because people changed their mobile phones and don't let us know and things like that. So I can remember just it just being so full on. And then it was like we got things set up. And it was still hard work, but I had evenings because all the evening meetings stopped. And there was a sense in which I had a bit of space. I had a bit of my life back. And I love that. I really, you know, just being able to have a bit of time rather than just massively running from one thing to another was wonderful. So it's been a long haul. It has been a long haul because we've been working all, all through. And, you know, it hasn't been easy walking with people who for example um, have had funerals and not being able to give them a hug you know and and having to do the visit usually you'd go around and sit with the family and you weren't allowed to do any of that all of that was on phone and it it, so it's changed things a lot but um, again just a real privilege to be able to be here in this place and I've seen some good things that have come out of it for our church like OG said you know we've somehow we've we've grown a community and a sense of community that yeah. maybe wasn't there so much before so mm-hmm. you know it's it's a real it's almost like a double-edged sword isn't it it's it's, it's tough because you're isolated I've not I've not seen my mum for nearly a year and my mum and dad I should say um and we've done that willingly as a family you know, we didn't, we chose not to do Christmas before we weren't allowed to do Christmas, you know, that sort of thing, because we wanted to keep them safe. But it's actually, it feels like we're coming out of hibernation now. And that that feels good. Mm. That does feel good. Yeah. So that leads me on to the final question of, do you have hope? I do. I think if I didn't have faith, I'm not sure I would. I think it's quite, quite easy for me to get a little bit cynical about human nature and the fact that many, many people don't seem to have any interest whatsoever in even finding out if there's a God or not and that can be really quite depressing but I do have hope because even seeing what people did for other people during this pandemic has been awe-inspiring really and and I've seen a lot of it I've seen a lot of it a lot of people going the extra mile a lot of people extending out and being community in the place that they live and actually finding out who their neighbours are for the first time ever and so that gives me tremendous hope and I think you know I've I've had so many conversations about people saying well you know Covid's been horrible but this has happened and this was a good thing that we didn't think would ever you know and there's that there is that sense of silver lining bit in there as well which is pretty amazing very true yeah interesting lovely well thank you for sharing with us Ruth thank you lots lots that I've not known which yeah it's really really to hear about you question for you um, Ruth if you weren't a vicar what would you be yeah interesting one I'm not entirely sure but one thing I love doing and I don't get enough time for is painting it gives me tremendous joy to paint 
and just being creative I think I'd want to be creative and that was one of the reasons I didn't want to get ordained actually I thought it would crush my creativity and I think what it's done is it's just directed it in a slightly different way so my creativity hopefully comes out in in the talks that I give and I have started the Battersea Park Community Choir and in fact I've written songs for that as well so I think there's something I'd want to do something that wasn't so much admin Uh. (laughs) was a bit more time to to do fun things you spoke about how you know sometimes you find it frustrating or you know you're sad saddened by the fact that people don't seem to be interested in knowing or finding out if there is a god do you have any kind of insight or into why that might be that society seems to kind of appear to not be as interested i think in some senses different ones of you have itemized some of it because there's a sort of anti-institutional kind of feel and the church in big has done wrong things. Its representatives have done wrong in various different ways. And so I don't blame people in that sense. And I do, I very firmly believe that each generation has to find its own way to God. And sometimes that can be learned through parents or through church going, but sometimes it's actually completely outside church. And I think it's it's partly that, it's partly because I think life's more comfortable and they don't need God. We don't need God. I would say that about me as well. I think that the kind of Christians we have in this country aren't quite as desperate for God to move as they are in some other places where there isn't a there isn't an NHS and things like that. I think there's so many distractions with um, technology and things. We tend not to have any, we think that, oh, we don't have enough time to think about God. And things like the same, you tend to turn to God when things go wrong. And things, although, we, yes, we did have COVID, but there's a lot of distraction. And it's in, in countries where things might not be going, where there's famine and things like, where things aren't going, so, or there's war. That's when people tend to turn to God more. Mm. That's well, uh, that's my in my opinion yeah no I, I do think I, I guess it's it's our perception of our need I think because although we have all of these things and you know like OG said with like media and you know technology I think sometimes it just brings it can bring a real like empty feeling a lot of the things mm. it, I guess it's still a, a distraction but I, I feel like when we have all of these things like social media I'm not sure if, if it's that fulfilling or or how fulfilling it is really in truth if people were really honest about it it's not that fulfilling but this generation the young the upcoming what this is what they grew up with it's for us it kind of bursted into our lives and we've had to adapt to it but them mm-hmm. a lot of the younger generation that's all they know social media so for us some of us oh we were brought up as christians you following your parents footsteps and i kind of tried church every sunday with the kids and everything but now they're of age no one's i have to like drag them to church christmas new year there's there's a lot of distraction a lot mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's just about distraction. I mean, I agree with you, but I think sometimes it's style. The style just doesn't do it for them. It's old fashioned. Each generation has to find God for themselves. But it's like how how my role really is to try and translate 
faith in a different way. But that's quite difficult to do when people who are already Christians, and it's wonderful to be in their midst, but when people are already churchgoers, as it were, want things to stay as they've always had it. But it's just been really interesting in COVID. That's another thing that has had to change. And the way we do church has changed and it's become much more online. Otherwise, we would have had nothing. And some people have had nothing apart from phone calls and, you know, things through their door. What do you think, Patricia? I think, I think young people naturally do not want to do the things that their parents do. But I think they find their way back at their time when they're older in their way and I think it's for the older generation to keep it open for them to come back to you know and it doesn't need to be dogmatic it's just those things that you can get by osmosis you know somehow you Mm -hmm. pick up that so they may drift away from it but I think as they mature and old they find their way back in their own way I mean I worry about the coming back because they wouldn't know what to come. They've, they've never been there. So how could they come back? I meet some parents and they say, well, especially ones that want me to christen their little ones. They mm. say, well, you know, I, I don't want to bias them. They can choose when they get older. But mm. if Christianity hasn't in some way been presented as a, a decent choice, there's no way there. Yeah, that is, that's, yeah that's true actually and nowadays people aren't there there is no sense of reference of church church used to be center of the community and it's not now i, I mean it's, it's almost like a, irrelevant in terms of you guys thinking about me and my role trying to communicate faith to well all ages but i think especially a different generation to the ones. what yeah. what advice would you give what would you do? A hard one. I think it's about often the church. There's a perception that it is quite judgmental. Mm. There are certain people that are allowed in, and so you have to you have to be a certain way to be a Christian. And I think that can often put young people off. I think it's about presenting the the truth in a simple way because I feel like Jesus was a pretty simple man, and his message is is simple. But I just I think for me, what I found about church personally, but also knowing sort of young people in the church who've who've struggled is some of the aspects of the actual of going to church and you know and and um feeling like you're not always accepted but obviously as as a as a christian as a mature christian i know god's view on you know on different things and i i know i know the truth so i can look past that yeah yeah, i think it's about it's about being in in, seen to be inclusive Mm-hmm. I think they are inclusive. I think for the younger, maybe thirties downwards, their idea of church is old people. We need something to kind of draw them into the church. They don't. There's nothing there to draw attract them. To attract them. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just employ a few models. Parade <laughs> them out the front and say, "Right, yeah, yeah." <laughs> what about you, Patricia? What advice would you give me? Maybe it's. It's that word church. I think that, you know, when you think of church, you think of this old building and you do think old. So maybe it's about, maybe sometimes it's as simple as where your location is. Is is church always held in a church or can it be in a a youth centre? 
does it always, you know, it's about introducing them to a faith and a belief. Rather than church, the building. building. And I think if you, if you're thinking about drawing them in, you know, you yourself, Ruth, are quite a charismatic person. You don't kind of look like a vicar, so to speak. Oh, that's that the nicest would... thing you've ever said to me, Patricia. <laughs> so I think, I know you hated school, but I think going into schools and letting them see someone that doesn't quite look like a vicar, who is a person, a person. That... Normal person. <laughs> yeah, I suppose they. The challenge do you face, you know, as an ordained female, have you faced opposition in that? Well, when I first sort of came out of music college and stuff, there wasn't much I could do as a musician. So it was teaching or going professional and I didn't want to do eight hours practice a day. And I think at that time, church leadership, certainly in the Anglican church, was not even available. So I went off and did other stuff. And okay, so it's been around now for over 25 years, but only only just in my denomination. And so I think that's why actually there are a lot of older older women that 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 come forward for ordination because in a sense they were not that's not why they do it they get the calling but they weren't allowed to before I'm not I mean I was fighting it all the way so <laughs> I'd have been quite happy not to do it when you think about it you being a vicar it's not like when they you know they had the careers talks in school and they come round. It's kind of not. I mean, how did you get there to that? Oh, it's, no, it's quite. It is quite yeah. a leap. And in some senses, I suppose if you've gone to church, I've I've gone to church huh? all my life. I've worked for churches as like a music director so in a sense it's part of my DNA but even so I was very very anti it partly because my dad's a vicar or my dad was a vicar and I saw how hard he worked and how difficult it was and I thought I can't do that so I thought firstly I thought well it will crush my creativity secondly I'm finding it hard enough to get a man and it certainly won't happen if I become a vicar and I can't remember the third oh my physical my physical I didn't really think I was strong enough because it's it takes quite a bit of endurance to do the amount of hours that it takes so you know I thought I had pretty compelling reasons not to not to get ordained and um and I actually had so many people when I was in Oxford doing music for a church I had loads and loads of people saying you should get ordained you should get ordained and it's like no 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 and finally I thought well let's just investigate so I went through the interview process and got resoundly turned down and I found the the whole process so traumatic I swore I'd never do it to myself again and that was in 2000 so I thought right great got off scot-free there and then six, seven years later, in a, in a two-week period, I just had loads and loads of people from different worlds, if you like, starting to say, you should get ordained. And I'm thinking, what? No, no, been there, seen it, done, done it, got the T-shirt. And I, I remember after two mentions of it, I said to my brother, one of my brothers is not a Christian, and I said, oh, you'll never guess what's happened, you know, that people started mentioning getting ordained. And I, what I what I was telling him for was so that he would say back to me, oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah. And he said... Got the wrong reaction. Yeah, he said, well, it does make sense, doesn't it? And I'm going, no, 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 no. Not wrong answer. And then the next week I had another whole load culminating in, in going. I'd, I'd been set up on this blind date. Well, hey, with this guy. And I met him. This is weird. Okay. So I met him. We walked to the pub, sat down. 
And he said to me, did our mutual friend tell you that I'm a prophet? And I thought, what? You know, like it was just like really weird. And he said, only a minute after meeting you, the Lord told me that he's calling you to ordination and you're not listening. And to be honest, I just sat there stunned, just completely Uh. stunned. And my first reaction actually was, what do you mean I'm not listening? (laughs) But uh, that made me, that like kick kick started me into starting the process again. And uh, even then I didn't want to do it. And it was actually through the process that I felt God changed my heart. So I, I know I am supposed to be ordained. Like at least me kicking and screaming into it yeah. means that I, I feel like this is right. Even though I feel very inadequate a lot of the time, there's lots of stuff I can't do. It's what he wanted me to do. And, you know, actually, sometimes I think, oh, this is, this is fun. I love the people bit of it. I love the people bit of it. And, yeah, the admin I don't, but. Can't have everything in a job, isn't it? Yeah, admin in all jobs is... All jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Every job has its downside, isn't it? Mm. But uh, Interesting that you kind of say, you know, you kind of feel a bit guilty about this is actually fun, that you like it, because the perception is that work should be hard and difficult and you should present it, but actually... The fact that you enjoy it and think mm-hmm. it's fun. Some of it. Some of it. Is, <laughs> you know, makes you human and, and that's the draw. Yeah. Like, it makes people kind of curious, maybe. That would be the bit that would lure people in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's going on? What's going yeah. on? Ooh, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. <laughs>